Hello, and welcome back to the Dr. Ready Podcast, and for short, DRE, a podcast founded and produced by medical students and physicians at the University of Alberta to help students across the Canadian medical school system rock their time in clerkship. I'm Isla. I'm Chelsea. Just kidding. I'm Chelsea. I'm Isla. <laughs> but sometimes you can get us confused, so you can call us Trila. <laughs> <laughs> That was dumb. Um, and we're currently in our third year of medical school at the, <laughs> the University of Alberta. Um, so as you all know, most of our episodes are heavily rooted in literature. But for this one, we compiled a whole bunch of stories from our classmates about how clerkship has been going and how everybody has kind of been stumbling along, making mistakes. And we thought it would be fun to share them with all of you as the first episode of the year. And we are extremely lucky to be joined by our classmate and bestest friend, Mr. Dylan Holman. So Dylan is a third year medical student at the University of Alberta as well. He's also a member of the Mental Health Advocates, MCCT, and he is one heck of a hockey player. He is also on track A for clerkship, which means that he starts with all of his medicine core rotations and ends with all of his surgical rotations. I, on the other hand, am a track B clerk, which means I start with all of my surgical rotations and end with my medical rotations. And Isla is actually part of the integrated community clerkship program, which means that for 10 months of the year, for her third year, she's actually at a rural site doing her clerkship. So very different perspectives between the three of us. Thanks for having me. And an absolute honor to be here during the mistakes episode. So I got the hints. No worry. <laughs> it was 50% that, 50% your very smooth voice. Um, but thanks for joining us. We're really happy to have you. Before we go through the stories, we are actually super curious to hear how clerkship's been going for you so far. Yeah, sure. So um, in contrast to the girls here, I'm on track A. So uh, more of a medicine heavy track at the beginning. So I started with pediatrics and then followed by family medicine and just started internal medicine. So um, was a good way to ease my way into clerkship and it seems to be going pretty well so far. Um, as people who've gone through pediatrics can attest, uh, dealing with children is sort of like dealing with a whole nother species. So uh, any day where or any interaction where the kid's not crying, I usually chalk that up to so a success. So nice to move on to adult medicine at this point. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm glad you're having such a good time. I'm sure those kids love you. Um, so let's get into these stories. The first two are actually Chelsea's own stories. So I'm going to let her start. Thank you, Isla. And um, Dylan, no surprise that you made these kids cry, actually. You're, you're very scary sometimes. So makes sense. Maybe, maybe not peds for Dylan. No. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I started on obstetrics and gynecology for my, um, for my clerkship, third year clerkship. And so my two stories are actually from my obstetrics rotation. Um, and you know, ironically, I actually have an embarrassing story every day. So this episode is very fitting for me. Um, and so if you ever, want to feel better about yourself, just please contact me um, because I will for sure have something worse or similar to what you're going through. But these are my two favorites so far. So it was a few weeks into my obstetrics rotation and I at this point was starting to get a little more confident with myself. I was getting used to the OR. I was getting used to C-sections. 
And I was starting to get the rhythm, so feeling good. So I was in a C-section one day, but I was actually not scrubbed in to the C-section. So I was just observing from the foot of the bed with some scrub circular, uh, scrub nurse circulators. And <clears throat> I had a bit of a weird angle to what was going on in the procedure. Um, so this baby pops out, uh, is delivered. And because of my newfound confidence on obstetrics, I can see from this angle apparently so clearly that it's a boy. And so I yell out with full force, it's a boy. And the staff who's doing the operation slowly turns to me and says, no, it's not. <laughs> and the, that was very traumatizing because obviously the staff was very disappointed in me and the parents are very confused as to what <laughs> the sex of their baby is. So definitely never, ever yelled out another sex of a baby again after that. Just happy birthday is enough. <laughs> um, my second story along the same lines, you know, as, as this newfound confidence, you know, I, I had a bit of an ego decline that day, but I, I did start to build it back up again. So I'm moving through the motions again, again with this OR, I'm learning the processes. I'm learning the sterile fields. I'm learning the setup. I'm learning the takedown, the draping. And so I know at this point what I'm supposed to be doing. So I'm like, okay, the next step is I go get the bed. So I confidently run out of the room, grab the bed, swing it into the room and I slam my foot on that brake because I don't want that patient flying down the hallway unnecessarily safety first but when I confidently slam my foot on that brake the brake actually flew off the bed <laughs> because I was so forceful I had snapped the brake clean in two the plastic actually came apart and the brake flew across the room and there was a huge noise and everyone turns to me and I have to sort of take a breath and say, I actually broke the bed. And the nurse was like, no, no, honey, you probably didn't. You, you just need to press on it harder. And I'm like, no, I, I pressed on it very hard. And the brake is over there. And the nurse <laughs> behind her picks up the brake and turns to her and she's like, yeah, she did break the bed. We're going to need a new bed in here. And so they have to go get a new bed. And my confidence, again, is just back in the trenches, and that's fine. Um, but the worst part of this whole scenario is that I was at a different hospital a few weeks later on a different core rotation. And I was telling somebody this embarrassing story of breaking the bed. And they said, it was a resident I was telling, they said, hey, I actually heard about you. <laughs> And I heard of a medical student breaking a bed. And uh, I'll forever be known as the girl who breaks the bed. And the story is rampant in Edmonton now. So there you go. The good news is if you ever want to do OBS, uh, at least you're memorable. That's true. <laughs> good even carms the, application. Even the brand new babies will remember you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So time for a few stories of my own to contribute. Um so yeah, was uh, <laughs> was making some embarrassing um, moves right on day one. Uh, so I started off the pediatrics outpatient clinic, and I show up the first day, uh, and the residents there, 
and the patients are slowly starting to arrive. So I read up on the patient, um, patients in the room, but my preceptor isn't there yet. I asked the resident if it's okay if I go see them early. And I think it's great. I'm going to show some initiative on day one, really impress the preceptor. So I get ready to go, go start to, you know, put the PPE on and wash my hands. For whatever reason, they have five to six different types of masks on this cart outside of the room. No idea why. And everybody has their own mask preference, I guess. And so I just start looking around at the mask, pick one I think I'm going to like. Doesn't fit my face. Throw it out. Okay, on to the next one. Same thing, mask number two doesn't fit my face. And at this point, it's about 9.03, 9.04, and my chances at making a good impression for going in early are slipping through my fingers. So I just grab the next mask with the hopes that I, you know, reduce further waste and kill the environment. Throw this on my face. It barely goes from the tip of my nose, just covers my bottom lip, and I rip in, and I see the patient uh, finish, come back out, and my preceptor is there, and before I get a word out, she just bursts out laughing at me. Uh, and so for anyone looking to break the ice with their preceptor, uh, a great way is to just wear improper PPE on day one, and uh, there you go. Wear a kid's mask. Wear a kid's mask. The worst part is that you had seen the patient already. So that 10 minute consult that you did, they were <laughs> wondering what you were thinking this morning, but that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. As a, as a med student on your first day, I, I think that kind of happens naturally anyway. <laughs> really left uh, a mark. Yeah. 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 So fast forward three or four months, you would think I have my life figured out as a med student. I'm on family medicine, work, working at a walk-in clinic. And the setup is such that I see the patients, then I go to my preceptor's office, give him a case presentation, and then we go see the patients together, okay? So I have, a let's say, a 75-year-old lady in there. I see her. I go to my preceptor, and we do a case presentation and just chat about the case for, let's say, like six to seven minutes. And then we go see the patient, and as we walk in the room, the patient's sitting in the dark, and she just is not saying anything and apparently says that everything went black, <laughs> And that's all she remembers. And it occurs to me that instinctually, as I walked out of the room, I have been flicking the light off <laughs> and leaving this poor patient sitting in the dark. And this this lady doesn't call for help or anything. She just accepts that th this is my life now. And <laughs> I almost did that a couple more times in the, in the, the weeks to follow, but luckily caught myself. So, I mean, it kind of sounds like you're trying to help the environment if anything <laughs> you're making up for all the masks that you threw out the first time no just do my part <laughs> yeah all right uh well thanks for sharing i'm sure you have many more stories dylan um but i appreciate the two <laughs> um so i'll tell my own now so this was the very first patient i ever had it was day one of clerkship and I had just come into the merge and I was working with a doctor I've never worked with before. And this patient comes in and has a pretty large laceration on their hand. And she turns to me and she goes, why don't you go suture them? Like suture their hand. And I turned to her and I'm like, well, I could, but I've never done that on a real person. I've only ever practiced on, you know, those kits that we get. So maybe we can go in together or you could show me this one and I can do the next one. She was okay. Sounds good. So we get everything together. We go into this room and I take a look at the 
the patient's hand and it's a huge laceration. I can see tendons. And anyway, I thought to myself, oh, it's probably so good that I'm not the one to suture this, right? It's probably good to watch before I try. So the doctor starts suturing this patient's hand and it's frozen. So they're not feeling anything, but every time the needle goes into their hand, they wince because it makes them uncomfortable that there's a needle going into their hand. Understandably so. But every time they wince, I also wince. And every time they clench, I start to clench. And then about a minute and a half later, my vision starts to go a little bit blurry. (laughs) Everything gets a little black. My ears start ringing. My mouth gets dry. My heart starts beating out of my chest. And honestly, I felt like I was going to pass out for the first time in my life. I was like, what is going on? Why is this happening to me? It turns out that I had been clenching for two minutes every single time this patient winced. So I had essentially vasovagaled myself. And then I had to leave the room. <laughs> I had to leave the room, go sit down, have some crackers, have a juice. And then, you know, vision came back and my hearing came back finally too. But I learned through that situation that there is a thing as a little bit too much empathy. You know It's a little embarrassing because my story was about how overconfident I became throughout this process of going into clerkship. Whereas you guys, like Dylan's saving the environment. Dylan is taking initiative. Isla feels too much empathy. (laughs) And I'm over here slamming on beds. (laughs) I think I need to reassess my values in life, but that's okay. Well, like you said at the beginning, we all are offering different perspectives. Different perspectives, yes. (laughs) Oh, God. Okay. Um, So... Thanks for sharing. We also, um, you know, wrangled a few of our classmates into also sharing some humiliating stories. So we would have a little bit more content um, because the whole purpose is to normalize being humiliated in clerkship and that mistakes are supposed to be made. So um, one of our classmates has submitted a story anonymously and I will share it with you now. So... On a general surgery call shift, I was with the resident on a consult for a lower gastrointestinal bleed. The resident wanted me to perform a digital rectal exam for uh, an assessment um, evaluation, which I proceeded to do. I proceeded to explain in excruciating detail every step required to perform a digital rectal exam right in front of the patient without ever asking them if they wanted to know even though the resident definitely did not ask me to do this. Uh, Definitely not how to do a digital rectal exam. Also fitting to be talking about a uh, digital rectal exam, or DRE for short, on the DRE podcast. Am I right? Yeah. We love DRE stories. Thank you for that. Send Um, us more DRE stories. (laughs) I have a few as well, but maybe at a later date we can Maybe we'll do a part two of this. I like Part two sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. Hint, hint. (laughs) Okay, I think Dylan has the next story. Yeah, so the next story submitted by one of our lovely listeners. So it was in Gen Surge, uh, which is my first core rotation. And I got asked to do my first consult ever. I was super excited to get the first one out of the way. And after I saw the patient, I felt like I had taken a pretty thorough history. I go back to go over the case with the attending, who at this point was in mid-surgery. And I gave them my spiel. Uh, Then they ask about the lab work to which I unfortunately had to say uh, I didn't look at the lab work. At that point, my attending's a little disappointed visibly and a bit confused. And then she asked if I had thought about the imaging. 
Uh, again, I unfortunately had to reply with, I also didn't look at the imaging. <laughs> and at this point, she's somewhere between bewildered, surprised, in disbelief. And she ironically asked if this is my first consult, to which I reply, <laughs> yes, indeed it is. At this point, she's a little short on patience and tells me to go to the lab. To Sorry, to go look at the lab work and look at the imaging. So I feel pretty stupid at this point. I go look at the chart. And after feeling like I've looked at everything, the imaging, the micro, I go back to the staff and update them. Uh, I answer all her questions, including what came back on micro. And at that point, she says, okay, great. So what's the susceptibility? <laughs> Once again... I have to reply with, I didn't look at the susceptibility, unfortunately. <laughs> so yeah, that was my first consult ever, which clearly went about as perfect as you can expect. <laughs> Honestly, consult or not, that's probably one of the most relatable stories I've heard. There was this one patient I remember clearly in my mind who had come in and they were coming in with four different concerns. And so I spent a ton of time going through every single one, making sure to be very thorough, asking them probably too much at this point. But I had spent so much time doing the HPI for all the four things that I completely forgot to ask about anything else. No medications, no family history, no social history, nothing. So I go back and I'm so proud. I'm so excited to tell the preceptor all the things that I've asked this patient about. And then she goes, okay, sounds good. So for the second thing, um, did you ask if there was a family history of what you think it is? And I was like, um, no, I think I, for I forgot that one. I'm so sorry. I can go, I can go back and check that. She goes, okay, that's fine. No problem. So for the fourth thing, um, is there any history of like alcohol use or cigarette smoke? And I look at her and she goes, you didn't ask about that either, did you? I was like, no, I'm going to go back. <laughs> <laughs> and to uh, to add to this too, I I feel like everyone reading the story was like, is this my story? Like, is this, I, I completely have been there before. I think it's hilarious that it was mid-surgery. This, this staff is doing this. This is the funniest part to me. But um, I also missed something really important on history. And I remember telling the preceptor at the time, I'm so sorry I didn't ask about the family history of this. I, I feel a little silly for not thinking of that. And he actually said, if you remembered to ask every single thing on history, you'd be standing where I am instead of where you're standing. And I thought that was a really great reminder that it's okay to mess up. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Well, that makes me feel a lot better. Although I probably should have asked a few more questions. <laughs> but thanks anyway. Um, okay, the next story is also submitted anonymously by one of our classmates. And it's my favorite story I've ever heard. I heard it a couple months ago for the first time. And I still find it just as funny. So this person says, on my first ER shift during my rural rotation, the ER doc asked me to do a cranial nerve exam on a two-year-old that tripped and bonked her head on the sidewalk. Keep in mind that I knew the cranial nerve oski inside and out, and I wanted to go into pediatrics, so I thought it would be okay. Just a bit of improvisation, you know, children aren't just little kids, opportunistic physical exam and all that. So I walk in. She's walking around just fine when I enter the room, and she looks at me when I call her name. Cranial nerve eight, check and check. She looks me in the eyes, and her gaze follows me when I move my head around, and I know that's as close as I'm getting to cranial nerves three, four, and six. When I shake her plastic toy in her peripheral fields, she looks at it. Cranial nerve too. When I touch her cheek with a tissue, she turns her head. 
cranial nerve five. She shrugs her shoulders when I ask her a question. Cranial nerve 11. During the rest of my exam, she eats a snack, smiles, cries, says a couple words. I'm sure there's a ma, ka, and a la in there somewhere. So that's cranial nerves 7, 9, 10, and 12. Ignoring cranial nerve one, that's all of them, I think to myself, and I'm undeniably proud of my quick thinking and ability to extrapolate a cranial nerve exam to a toddler. I wait to present to my preceptor, and before I can even begin, he asks me, so how was the pupillary light reflex? And in my pediatric opportunistic physical examining, I completely forgot pupils existed. (laughs) I admit this to my preceptor, and they look at me funny, not meanly, but just baffled and amused. And they say, so what kind of cranial nerve exam were you doing in there? She's two years old. (laughs) (laughs) I'll never not be funny. That's hilarious. I'm very excited for my P's rotation just from these stories alone. (laughs) Okay, Dylan, you can take it away with Dan's next story. Story number two from Dan, who's quite the storyteller. So I was working in GenSurge and they were operating on a patient who had a previous mesenteric ischemia, which resulted in considerable small bowel resection. The current operation was a revision to detect any additional ischemic bowel that needed to be resected. So at one point, the surgeon turns to me and asked me to push on a structure. I saw that it was a section of large bowel, so I pushed on it. He asked me, what is that? It felt crunchy and hard, and I was immediately transported back to the anatomy lab where I had felt common iliac vessels that had severe atherosclerosis. And I thought, this feels about the same. This must be a similar calcification, as I knew that the large bowel is well vascularized. I answered almost instinctively, and hopefully even showing some eagerness, atherosclerosis? His eyebrow raised in surprise, and he smirked out of the corner of his mouth. No, we wouldn't feel that in these small vessels. He then turned to the resident and said, I bleeping love new medical students. (laughs) He then turned back to me and said, that, my friend, is poop. (laughs) And ironically, I had pooped myself too. (laughs) I could listen to his stories all day. Same. Well, thanks so much, Dan, for sharing those with us too. And everyone else who sent in a story. Um, So that's it for the stories. But we did also ask people for any advice that they wanted to share. And we got a couple back. Um, So the first response that we got was learn how to maintain sterile fields. I have report, this person says I've reported or repeatedly broken the sterile field multiple times over four months of clerkship and forget it over and over, whether it's getting gowns ready, inserting a catheter, putting on gloves, opening equipment. There's so many YouTube videos that you can watch. And there are numerous educational videos and training that OR nurses go through that we don't get. It's really easy to take this for granted and very easy to mess up and look like a fool for it. Second piece of advice submitted to us. I've made plenty of mistakes, but most importantly, I've learned so much from them. I think there's so much pressure in med school for us to know things, but we often forget that as students, it's not our job to know things. It's our job to learn things. The mistakes I've made have become memorable learning moments that resonate far more deeply than whether or not I knew something semantically at the time. The key is the growth mindset that enables mistakes to become moments of learning. As long as the patient is safe and no harm is done, I believe clerks should make their own mistakes freely and frequently and learn learn extensively from them. Therefore, I won't share any of my own, and I'll leave the opportunity of mistake-making for you to discover. I think that's such a good thing to highlight. Like, 
great piece of advice. Thank you for that. Um, anonymous person. Um, because the whole point of this episode today is to make it normal to make mistakes because mistakes is where you learn and to know that we all do it. And if you aren't making mistakes, I would actually question, you know, are you, are, are you doing something wrong? Honestly, like it, you should be messing up along the way. Um, and that's a, that's a really good sign. Um, and probably gives the preceptor something to laugh about later. Um, like calling poop atherosclerosis or something <laughs> like that. It's forever my favorite. Or breaking the bed. Or shh. <laughs> Shush. I don't want to hear it. Uh, <clears throat> so that concludes our stories and advice from classmates for now. Um, we hope you enjoyed them. Um, to end off the episode, as per usual, we like to throw in a little game to play with our guest stars of the day. Um, so this game, we're going to read out a very weird medical term that means something kind of normal. And Dylan, you have to guess what that word means. Are you ready? Fire away. Fire away. It's that radio voice coming through. <laughs> All right. The first word is borborigmi. Borborigmi. That sounds a lot like a Pokemon. Yeah. <laughs> That's Bor correct. Borborigmi. Borborigmi. Oh, my God. I'm feeling it right now. <laughs> That sounds like a like right some now. exotic species of bacteria. <laughs> it's really close. Okay. Do do? You're getting warmer. <laughs> no, Poking he's not. Pokemon <laughs> to bacteria. So borborygmi means rumbling or gurgling sounds in the intestines. What Isla has right now. Yeah. I, I didn't eat lunch. <laughs> okay, good try. I think the next one you can maybe reason out, but... I also don't know how to pronounce it, so we're going to work on this together. Okay, so the next one is uh, Morsicatio buccarum. Can you use it in a sentence? <laughs> um, oh, gosh. Uh, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Morsica I can barely pronounce Morsicatio buccarum. Morsicatio. Should have took Latin. Yeah. Um... Take a wild guess. Let's take a wild guess. If you have a hole in your cheek. Oh, hey. Okay, so it actually means a little ridge of tissue after biting the inside of your cheek. So maybe okay. not a hole, but a ridge. That's good. Okay. Good All job. Right. That was a very good educated guess. What was your rationale for the hole? Where uh, did you get hole from? Well, we're, the last word being buccal. Yeah, that was that was the giveaway. And then the hole? How come you said Oh, hole? no, I just... Tried to think of something, Just threw something pathologic the in the okay. cheek. I don't know. Okay, That's good. good. Yeah. Good job. I like the reasoning out. Last one. Visalgia is the word. Visalgia. Also, if we're pronouncing these completely wrong, don't come for us. And to use it in a sentence, the next word I will use in this game is visalgia. <laughs> <laughs> visalgia. Mm, sounds like pain somewhere. That's a yeah warmer, warmer. Pain in the little toe of your foot <laughs> after you stub it on the bed. That's what it should mean. That's hilarious. It means hangover, but that's better. That's better. 
Thank you for that. That made my day. Love that. That was the best. I think you're a little too good at this game. We need to make it harder next time. Yeah? Okay. I wouldn't have gotten any of those. God knows what I would have guessed. Um, Okay. Well, that actually concludes our third episode of the DRE podcast. Thanks, Dylan, for being here and playing our games and telling your stories. We really appreciate it. We hope this brought all of you listening a little bit of joy and help you feel a little less alone. Thank you so much for tuning in and we can't wait uh, for you guys to hear episode four. Catch you next time.